The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Well, I suspect I'm not the only one here who didn't enjoy tests when you were in school. I especially didn't enjoy surprise tests. We called them pop quizzes in our day where the teacher, it was a surprise. You didn't know the teacher would give you a test or a quiz to see if you were listening. And I often wasn't. But I remember as I was reflecting on an exam I took in high school that I I took and I got a 0% on it. And I actually took it again later and I got another Zero. Some of it was even multiple choice. That's, that's pretty bad. <laughs> in college, I flunked a class that was called Introduction to Biblical Study, which is not a good start if that's going to be something God would have you eventually devote your life to. But I was into sports. I was immature. I was into wasting Opportunities. The one thing I hated more than exams was public speaking class, standing up in front of people and speaking. But God, but God graciously, patiently was working in my life even as I failed miserably. And the fact that he made me a pastor sometimes amazes people who I meet later who knew me then. Today in Exodus 16, we're going to see God give a test to Israel. And it's a test they didn't expect. It's a test they're not going to enjoy. And their response is going to show they weren't listening. They weren't learning from what God was teaching them. And in chapter 15, we already saw a test last time that they got a zero on. And they're going to get a zero on this test. But God amazingly, graciously patiently, like he did in my life, is going to help these Israelites who have a long way to go, as we all do. And Despite their failings and despite their complainings, God is changing them to serve him. And his way of transformation is a hands-on education. He said in chapter 15, he was testing them to see if they would listen Now look at chapter 16 and verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. Well, that's the key statement for this chapter that we're going to read. Whether they will walk in my law or not. Pastor Corey read earlier from Deuteronomy 8 where God said he did this with the The bread from heaven to test them and to humble them and to do them good in the end. God is a good teacher. God wants to help us. And and he wants to help help us fix what we got wrong so that we don't keep failing. He prepares us. And here in this chapter we're going to see his classroom is creation. Last week I was in the desert of Arizona, visiting my sister. This week, we're going to see Israel in the school of the desert. Or you might call it Wilderness Academy. Spurgeon called this desert wilderness the Oxford and Cambridge for God's students. There they went to the university, and he taught and trained them, and they needed to get their degree before they entered the promised land. So let's join Israel at Wilderness U, or University Exodus 16, beginning in verse 1. They set out from Elim, and the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, or that might have been pronounced Sin. It's, it's called that because it's near Sinai, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses And Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, here it is again, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel at evening, You shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And then in the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Many years ago at our old church, helping out in children's ministry one time, the, the teacher of the kids was talking about this very story, this very chapter, and she was asking the kids, now, now what is it? Anyone remember, what, is, what was it called, that, that white stuff that Israel ate every day? It, it starts with a man, and one of the kids raised his hand, pick me, pick me, mayonnaise, he said. She said, no, 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 not... Not mayonnaise, but the, the children of Israel are asking, what is it? And, and that's in their language, man is The ESV footnote says that it's the word man It's kind of like in English, we might say, whatchamacallit. And, and there's actually, a, I think, a candy bar that was named whatchamacallit. But that's what they're saying. What is it? man And then they, they just name it. What is it? Manna. In fact, look at verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name Manna, that's from that question, what is it, back in verse 15. What was it, though? It explains that it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generation, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they were going to keep some of this after they had already gone into the promised land. And Moses said, verse 33, to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is the tenth part of an ephah. You all know what that is, right? Uh, just in case you don't, it's about a half gallon or maybe two liters. Uh, but he's explaining that so that they will understand this. There's going to be four decades of daily provision with this manna. In numbers it says they would bake it, they would um, beat it, they would boil it, they would make it ground, they would make wafers, they would make cakes. Out of it, and the text says that it tasted like honey. There was, there was sweetness to it. You remember when he provided water in chapter 15? He didn't just take the bitterness away, he actually made the water taste sweet. And it could be that this is a, to be a foretaste of the, the land that they're going to that's going to be a land of milk and what? Honey. 
But they're to taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good in providing their needs. And verse 32 says that the later generations needed to, needed to see this. Beyond those 40 years, there, there would be this testimony, this Ark of the Covenant that will be constructed in the book of Exodus. And it only had three elements. So in the Ark of the Covenant, there was the rod that had been used for the miracles. There was also the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the tablets of stone. And then there was a day's worth of manna that God kept from spoiling. So three things in the Ark of the Covenant. The rod that the miracles had been done with, the the Ten Commandments written by the finger of God in stone, and then this, this token of manna of how the hand of God had provided every day their needs. This is in the top three things that God has them put in that Ark of the Covenant for the future. This is very important to God, this manna. So what is it? We ask the question that that word manna comes from. What is it all about? God says what he's doing here is so that his people will know that he is the Lord, that they will know more of who he is. And he says they're going to see his glory in his provision. Before he provides this for them, they see his glory on display. And so as we look at this, we need God's help that we would see more of his glory, that we would see more of who our Lord is, that we would trust him more, that we would understand what he is teaching them for when we are going to be tested the testing of our faith as we encounter various trials, as the book of James says. And so I want to look at this passage, looking at the problem and then the solution. And by the problem, I don't mean the lack of food. I mean the, the lack of faith and what that came, what came out of their mouths as a result. The problem is grumbling. The problem is grumbling dishonors God and it distorts reality. So this is the problem. Grumbling dishonors God and it distorts reality. 1 Corinthians 10 says the exodus is for our example. It's for our instruction that we would not grumble like Israel in the wilderness, Paul says. So we need to learn from this. When we grumble about situations or spiritual leaders or sinful people that you live or work with and are going to see this week, you're actually grumbling about the sovereignty of God that has put all those people and situations in your life. The God who not only permits but has a plan and has a purpose for everyone and everything. And the Bible says for his people he's doing for their good and for his glory, all things in our lives. We sang just a little bit ago, you have ordained every breath I take. In pleasure or pain, there are no mistakes. Gladness and grief, both are in your hands. And suffering, brief, is part of your plan. That's what we believe as Christians, but for Israel... And for us, this lack of food showed their lack of faith. In the end of verse 3, they're grumbling to Moses. You have brought us into the wilderness to die, is basically what they say. They're assuming evil motives. And they're accusing him of, of a death wish. That They're accusing him of a, of a death march. That's what this is all about, isn't it? You just want us to die, don't you? But Moses, again, like in the last chapter, doesn't take it personal. He, in verse 6, replies that they're going to actually know it's really God who brought them out. It wasn't him who brought them out. God is the ultimate sovereign cause. And God is the savior. God is the sustainer of his people. His plans are, are for their good and not their harm. Moses wrote earlier at the end of Genesis, even what man intends for evil, God intends it for good. Look at the middle of verse 8. The Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble 
against him. They were actually grumbling against Moses, but he says, The Lord has heard your grumbling against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. We need to diagnose the problem rightly when we're grumbling. We need to realize our grumbling is not against that person or that situation. It's, it's against the Lord. And this is more than groaning. Earlier in the book, we hear about Israel groaning and their groan, their cry went up to the Lord. But this is more than that now. This isn't constructive criticism that you might present to someone you love. That's certainly better than murmuring behind the back. You may not agree on all things, but it's better to ask the person why. Don't accuse and don't assume you know their heart, that you know why. Don't complain to or about others, but there is a place in Scripture for respectfully venting to God, or a more biblical word would be lamenting to God. There's psalms of lament, there's books of lament, lamentations, that show us how God's people can pour their hearts out to the Lord, pour their feelings out to the Lord, but in faith. That's not what they're doing here. I think Kevin DeYoung is helpful in, in clarifying. Grumbling against the Lord is not a humble cry for help, but it is saying, I know how to run the universe a bit better. And we, we wouldn't say that, but we see how God's sovereignty is running it, and we've got a better way. Instead of, this really hurts, which is, we feel that, right? This hurts, but I'm ready to receive whatever I must receive from God's hand. To grumble like Israel here is to say, this stinks and I am ready to rebel against God's heart. That's the difference. We can feel discouraged as life seems hard and harsh, but we dishonor God if we judge Him to be hard or harsh. And we can all do that. And in verse 3, Israel wishes God's hand had killed them in Egypt. Remember Patrick Henry? Give me liberty or give me death. Israel is basically saying here, give me slavery or give me death. They would rather be back. At least this is how they are in their, in their feelings and in their, their physical lack. And this is how they are in the hot desert sun. They would rather in their mind be back under Pharaoh's hands as slaves than to be under the hand of God, the God who saves. This is where they're at. And notice in the middle of verse 3, they reminisce about Egypt. Here's their words. When we sat by those meat pots and we ate bread to the full. This is the second part of the problem. Grumbling dishonors God and it distorts reality. Sin exaggerates how bad the present is. And sin exaggerates how good the the past was. In our sinful ways of thinking, we exaggerate. We make bigger how bad we think it is right now. And we look back and, and we remember wrongly how good it was back Whenever those golden days were the good old days. Oh, for those good old days with those good old Egyptian boys when we were, we had those barbecue brisket pots all the time. Remember those days? Oh, for that good old, that good old hometown buffet there in Egypt where there was unlimited bread. Remember that bread? We would just sit around and we were, we were full, we were fulfilled. I wish we had those days again. That is a distorted memory of the past and it distorted more over time. So the Egyptian menu and their memory got, got even greater later. This is Numbers 11.5 in the book of Numbers. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Oh, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. It's like they can smell it. That free fish, the, the fruit, and those, those, those fancy vegetable medleys. But they're forgetting how flesh smelled when their fellow Egyptians were being beaten to death. Like in chapter 2 where Moses had to intervene where someone was going to be beaten to death again. One of his fellow countrymen. 
Do they remember that river where they caught fish was the same river where their babies were being thrown to their death? See, they're not talking about that. They had a selective memory of meat. But, but they're forgetting about that straw that they weren't provided for bricks. They had to go gather stubble and still meet their quota. They forgot about the slave masters who were whipping them and beating them and wanting to kill them. They, they had a distorted recall of things as better before. When the reality is things were bitter before. We can do this as well. This is what sin does. Exodus 1.13. Just to remind you. They, Egypt ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And made their lives bitter. With hard service and mortar and brick. And in all kinds of work in the field. And there were heavy burdens. And, and even just weeks earlier. It says. They said. We stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. Who who have, they've had put a sword in their hand to kill us. They think this is terrible, we're going to die here. But now they talk like they would rather have that than be a part of this rescue mission. And they'd forgotten all that God had just done for them through the plagues, through the Red Sea, through the water at Mara, and there's this pillar of fire and cloud above them. But they're wanting to go back. Like slaves finding it hard after their emancipation, wishing they'd died on the plantation or, or more in our, some of your lifetimes, POWs being rescued from a concentration camp by the World War II allies. Imagine if you're one of those, you haven't eaten yet, you haven't made it home yet, you're still being rescued, but you're grumbling at your rescuers and saying, you should have just left me there to die. That is insulting the ones who are rescuing you. But listen, if God saved you from slavery to sin, why do you look back? Why do you grumble? Why do we do this same thing? Our complaining is offensive to the God who is delivering us. This is a serious thing. And so don't be hard on Israel as you read these passages. They... They're in a serious place here. We can complain when we're in a far less serious place, but we need to not just be hard on them. We need to listen to our own heart. See how this can be us. See how our grumbling dishonors God and distorts reality. That's the problem. The solution is trusting the Lord. And we're going to see two applications here. Trust the Lord to, number one, Supply all your needs. And there's some physical needs here, food and rest, that we'll begin with. But look at verse 12. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. The Lord says, say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. The Lord knows. He knows your needs before you ask him. He knows their talk about meat and bread. They, they did need food. And he's going to graciously show his care. He's going to supply their need so that they will know the kind of God he is. That he is their Lord, their God. This is, as you read this, this is grace upon grace that's going to flow down and it's going to rain down Every single day. This is undeserved, unmerited favor to complainers. Despite their murmurings, he has mercies for his people. Even as they grumble, he has grace. And we'll hear later in the Bible, even when we're faithless, he remains what? Faithful. He cannot deny Himself. And this is his covenant commitment to his people. Exodus 16 shows us God's care for physical needs. It's not just the spiritual needs that are important. He cares for the physical as well. He takes care of his people, all of their needs. Moses wrote earlier of Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh, the provider, and, and also the God who sees, the God who looks after me in Genesis. And he's going to write later in Deuteronomy of Israel in the wilderness that God encircled 
him. God cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. He had this precious care, keeping his people in the center of his attention of all the things he's caring about on earth. His people are in the the apple of his eye. He keeps his own in his tender care. And you can trust him to supply all your needs. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches, according to his unlimited resources and glory. And this should encourage us when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces an endurance. And, and sometimes in those times we realize we lack, it may not be lacking food like them, but we lack wisdom. And so we need to ask of God who will give us wisdom in our tests, in our trials. In verse 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. This is all you can eat for all two million Israelites. It said earlier there were at least 600,000 men, so there's in the millions of Israelites. This is an amazing miracle every day. Verse 18 says, as they measured. I remember someone measuring how much it would take to actually have a have a two liters worth of food for everyone provided every day, and they described how many train cars that would take to have that much food. This is God every single day providing that much food, an unbelievable amount of food multiplied by the millions by liters. And verse 18 says, As they measured, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. There were some that didn't gather as much, but there were people around them who had more than they needed that they shared, apparently, with whoever had need. The Lord's care for them was also moving them to take care of each other. He was providing for their needs. Some had more than they needed shared with those who weren't able to gather as much. And and Paul actually applies this principle to the church in 2 Corinthians 8 when he talks about care for others that God puts in Hearts, 2 Corinthians 8.16, he says this, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness as it is written. And then Paul's going to quote Exodus 16. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And then Paul goes on to apply that. He who supplies bread for food will supply and multiply your seed to be generous in every way. Supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing. The Lord's going to supply your needs so that you can be generous to others around you who are in need. That's how Paul quotes that and, and applies that. You can read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 to see more about that. As you regularly give a portion or a percent to God's work, or as you give extra that God has given you to the needs of God's people, He'll take care of you. And Paul's point there isn't tithing, it's trusting God who supplies needs through his people. The New Testament quotes this passage for the truth that God meets our physical and financial needs as we give to others and so that we can give to others' needs, sharing what he has given to us. He provides enough so that those who have more can help others, but This is not just about providing food. It's also about providing rest. Look back at the text, Exodus 16, 23. He said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. And then verse 26, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, and this was part of the test, gather more the day before so that you don't have to get up that morning and gather. But on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. So every day, except for the Sabbath, there was manna out there, but they go outside in the morning to gather, and there's nothing that day. This, again, is you can't explain this Naturally, Some people try to explain this naturally, but how would it every seventh day not be there? How would it be all the way until they get to the border of the promised land and and stop? This is a a miracle of God's provision 
But they, they weren't yet trusting him. Some of them are thinking, you know, we've got we to gotta go and, and, and gather more. What if, what if it runs out? What if we're not going to keep getting it? We've got to store it up. Remember, when they stored it up, it would go bad the next day. Except for the day before the Sabbath, it wouldn't go bad. In verse 28, the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is a hard thing to learn for those who have just been working nonstop every day the rest of their lives. This is a hard thing for us to rest if you're a workaholic or if, if you're wanting to always be productive and get ahead. And we'll study the Sabbath more in chapter 20, but the point here in this context is this is part of trusting God to rest, which is a need we have to rest. Bread is God's gift and rest is God's gift. And he gifts them with extra food the day before so that they could stay home for a day. Pharaoh didn't do that. Pharaoh didn't give days off. Pharaoh didn't even give straw for their bricks. But they have a new master now. And he's giving them this weekly day of rest. He's caring for their needs. Work that they did every other day was to cease They were to prepare the night before so they could rest a day in their place. The New Testament doesn't command us to shelter in place to rest like here in the wilderness. But we need regular rest too. We're not superior physically to them, physically, mentally, and spiritually. We need weekend rest. We need nightly sleep. Because we are not God. Only God never slumbers or sleeps. And when we rest and when we sleep, we need to be reminded that we are not God. Here's what Phil Riken wrote. If, if ever a society badly needed the gift of God's rest, it is our own. We are always complaining about how tired and busy we are. As Christians, we grumble about not having enough time. However, if we do not receive the gift of God's rest... It's like we really are still working for Pharaoh, rushing around from one activity to the next, trying to get ahead in life, always working and never waiting, even on Sunday. He says this lifestyle comes from our sinful nature. And the Bible says there's not peace or rest for the wicked. We're actually called to stand against the strivings of our culture. Psalm 46 says, cease striving or be still and know that I am God. We need to know He is God and we are not. We need to trust Him to supply our needs, food and rest and all of our needs, and to provide each day. And the application there is don't worry. Verse 21. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. Morning by morning, that makes me think of morning by morning new mercies. I see all that they needed God's hand provided. Great is God's faithfulness. Amen. His his mercies never came to an end. All those years, they were new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. For 40 years, they saw this, but some didn't trust What Moses had said, some of them tried to hoard some just in case, verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. They couldn't store a backup. Every weekday, they had to trust that there was going to be fresh manna the next day, that they would go out there and they would see God's provision. They were learning this lesson, which is hard for us to learn. Don't worry about tomorrow. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, and all of that, God has for each day sufficient provision for the trouble that we will face that next day. He wants us to trust him in the moment, each day. 
The Christian's daily prayer we're going to sing at the end says, As morning dawns and day awakes, to you I bring my need. That needs to be our daily prayer. I'm, I'm bringing you my, my need here. Give me this day what I need. In you I live and breathe, the song says. Do, do we think like that? It's, it's you that I depend on for my next breath. Give me my daily breath as well. You can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, what? Want. That that word means lack. I'm not going to lack if the Lord is my shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. If you know the Lord is your shepherd, he makes you lie down. Receive that gift of rest. He leads you by still waters. He did that in chapter 15. And he restores the soul. He guides us. And he brings us that place of blessing where our cup overflows. We have more blessing than we need. It runs over. It spills over so we can share with others. Paul said this, I have learned. This isn't something he knew naturally. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in light of that, Paul says, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Paul learned the secret of contentment as the solution, as the cure to his complaining. Paul learned that. We need to learn that. We need to look beyond the manna to the Messiah in this passage here. So turn to Matthew 4, and and I want us to see how, how Christ strengthens us. How we can learn this through Christ. Because Christ in his own humanity went through what Israel went through. He suffered need just like us. He was tempted in every way just like us. He needed rest. He grew tired. He was fully human along with fully God. He grew hungry. And so in Matthew 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be Tempted. That word tempted is the same word for tested. So he's going to be tested now in the wilderness. Remember, Israel was tested in the wilderness. Jesus is going to be tested in the wilderness by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He's hungry. There's no food that's been given to him. But he doesn't respond the way that Israel did. Verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of what? Bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's keeping him alive is, is the, the, the sufficient word of, of God. He's not going to grumble like his forefathers. He's going to trust his sufficient father. But he had physical needs. And in verse 11, the angels are going to minister to those needs. But first, like Israel, Jesus is tested. And in chapter 3, he was, he was baptized. He went through the water and came up out of the water. He, he's going from the water to the wilderness to be tested by hunger, just like Israel in Exodus. And, and Satan's going to bring up the, the first temptation here, this miracle of bread. God did a miracle of, of bread in the wilderness. If you're his son, do it. Don't, don't trust your father's timing and provision. Just, just do it. Prove who you are by just providing for yourself. This is the test that Israel failed when they grumbled and complained against their father. But Jesus passes this test that Israel failed so that his people don't have to fail. He's, he's showing us the way that we don't have to fail when we're tested. He shows us how to respond with Scripture. Three times he's going to say in this chapter, It is written, which is another way to say the Bible says. God's Word says. I'm going to put God's Word over what I feel or even my physical needs. It is written. And he, he also teaches us how to rely on God's timing and God's Providing, he, he models how we can fight this sin of murmuring, and it's by meditating on the Word. The Word that is sweeter than honey, as Scripture would later say. And he, he's actually meditating on what Moses wrote about 
the wilderness wandering. Deuteronomy 8 is where he quotes this from. He's meditating on this very concept of how Israel was tempted in the wilderness and needed to learn this and be humbled in their test. And he's got that on his mind so that when Satan comes to him, he quotes right out of that passage. And he quotes two other times from Deuteronomy. He's meditating on this. And we might, we think of the Lord's care, but the question comes up in one of the songs, does Jesus care? When I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong, when the burdens press and the cares distress and the days grow weary and long, does Jesus care? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. I know my Savior cares. We know that. And Hebrews 4 says our sweet Savior was tempted just like us in every way. He sympathizes with every weakness so that we can go boldly to his throne of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. Whatever our need is, we can go to him. He knows that need experientially as he walked this earth and went through everything that we've gone through. And he he has mercy and help in our time of need if we'll come to him. We can go boldly to Him, to our Savior. And so go to Matthew 6, 11. This is what our Pastor Elder Steve prayed earlier. Give us this day, let's say it out loud together, give us this day our daily bread. Just stop there. What does that sound like? Give us this day our daily bread. That's, that was the experience of God's people. They had to trust the Lord for each day. For their daily bread and their daily needs. God wants us to pray like that. Jesus taught them to pray like that. Lord, this day, give me what I need. And even if we have a refrigerator like they didn't have in those days. And we can have more than our daily needs. We need to still look and, and, and realize that God is the source of everything in our life. Everything we need. We need to pray for that. And we need to praise Him for how He's provided us. For us, it's not our weekly bread there that Jesus said. Don't say, give us our weekly bread or give us a month's worth of our needs. We need to pray this daily, just like we need to daily forgive others, he says. And we daily need forgiveness from God for our transgressions. I was just reminded exactly three years ago. This Sunday, there were a lot of our daily supplies that weren't available in stores. You remember that? Going into stores, if you had ventured out, and there's entire sections with nothing, especially the paper products in particular. I hope that wasn't you guys that, that bought all those out. But people had hoarded what God wants his people to learn here is not to respond in fear, but in faith, to trust God to provide our needs each day. And I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but... Yeah, but that doesn't mean we sit back, sleep in, and slack off. And and you're right. Israel gathered daily manna early in the morning before it melted. They didn't get to sleep in, slack off, and just sit back. But here's the key. Jesus, in verse 34, says, don't worry about tomorrow. That was the problem with some of the Israelites. They're, They're worrying. They're not trusting sufficient is each day's trouble. Verse 25, he says, don't be anxious about your life. What you eat is just one of those examples. What you wear, what you'll drink, like Old Testament Israel. But look at verse 26 of Matthew 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the obvious answer is, is yes, we're created in, in God's image and his, his children have such a special love. But if you look at birds, they're fed. How are they fed? They work to gather up food in the morning. I heard a saying growing up, the early bird gets the what? The worm, right? They don't have a, a barn where they've got all these worms stored up. They've got to get up early and they've got to go after them and dig for them. Jesus is saying if God cares for birds in that way, he's going to care for you as you do what he's called you to. Not being passive, but being active in your faith. But as you do and you pursue what you can, you've got to trust God and know ultimately it's him who's providing, not your 
hand. That's what the scripture in Deuteronomy 8 said. Don't think that you did this by your own hand. If God blesses you, it's the Lord. He'll take care of you. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Your Father cares for you. Are you not much more valuable to Him than the birds? And so turn to John 6, but just know that if His eye is on the sparrow, we can know that He watches us with care. Jesus said from every bird on planet earth, when it falls to the ground or lands anywhere, even the very hairs on our head, he knows them, he numbers them in his sovereign care. And so he says, don't fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. John 6, we'll close with this. Verse 4 says, this was at the time of the Passover when Israel ate bread to celebrate their exodus. And verse 1 says, Jesus went to the other side of the sea. That kind of sounds like Israel after their exodus. Verse 6 says, He tested them with the question of bread. For all these people, how are they going to have enough bread? Which is also the question in Exodus 16. And then in verses 11 through 12, Jesus miraculously multiplies the bread to feed 5,000. They all ate as much as they could. They were all filled, just like the Old Testament provision of bread. From heaven. That's a miracle, one of the few in all four Gospels to show this is incredibly important and it shows us that Jesus is God. Jesus is the same God who did that in what he's about to do here. In fact, he says in verse 31 Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Actually, they're speaking to Jesus. Then, verse 32 Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And we know from the context what a lot of them are asking is, We want the free meal plan. Just keep, keep that coming. Keep that manna always coming. Not the Messiah that they missed and they needed. But verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And then verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that One may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Then verse 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father. Notice that, even Jesus says, I I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the Lord's life was being sustained moment by moment by the Father. When we feed on the Lord Jesus, we live and move and have our being in Him. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. And even with all that, in in verse 61, they grumble. Again, they still grumble, even as disciples. And so the application for disciples, for followers of Jesus is stop complaining. Stop grumbling. Keep coming to the Lord Jesus. Like verse 35 says, Whoever comes to me, and it's a present tense participle. Whoever keeps on coming, and also in verse 57, whoever keeps feeding on Christ as their life. That's the one. This isn't a one time. This is a daily bread of Life, And we feed on Him as we read in His Word that satisfies the hunger of our soul. That's how we keep coming to Him. The Word of Christ is sufficient for life and godliness because Christ is sufficient. With the the soul or sin issues, we don't turn to psychology or self-help. We turn to the Scriptures for our souls. And here's how Warren Wiersbe applies it like daily manna. Start the day with the Lord. Gathering spiritual food from the word. Because, and I think he's insightful here. I've, I've seen this in my life. If we wait too long to meet God, the day becomes cluttered. We'll get distracted. And we'll suffer from spiritual malnutrition. It's good for us to start the day acknowledging our need. Coming to the Lord for our need. Coming to him in his word. If you're not in his word I would urge you and encourage you to do that today. Do that tomorrow morning. Start this new habit of, of gathering. To, it's one of the ways to show 
that we need that daily bread. But for if, if you're an unbeliever here, I need to also say to you, without Christ, you will die in your sins, not just physically, but eternally. And your grumbling by itself is enough to bring death and the wrath of God. It's going to bring later in the story here, as they gr- continue to grumble, God's wrath comes and death comes to them, to Israel. But there is also an eternal judgment Jesus spoke of. For every careless word that you speak. But there's grace. If by your words and your heart you will confess your sin. And confess that Jesus is Lord. Confess your need for a a Savior. That you can't save yourself. And then come to Jesus as the bread of life. Why would you labor for something that's not bread? Why would you work for something that does not satisfy? Why would you think that you can work your way to heaven? You can't. The only way is through the bread of life who came down from heaven, who came down to give his life, his life for our sins. Feast your souls in his abundance. Come to the all-sufficient Savior. He says, whoever comes to me, he says in this chapter, I will not cast out his arms or open to those who will come. And he will satisfy the, the hunger and the longing of your soul that you can't find in anywhere else. That is in Him and Him alone. Trust the Lord who provides salvation in His death and His resurrection through His body. Blessed is the one who hungers for righteousness. He will be satisfied if He seeks it in Christ. The old hymn says, You are the bread of life, O Lord, to me. Your holy word, the truth that saves me. Give me to eat and live with Thee as You did in Galilee. Then shall all bondage cease, all fetters fall, and then I shall find my peace, my all in all. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Let's pray. Our great and gracious God, we thank you for your gracious gift of your Son and your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to seek him daily and early and regularly. We thank you, Lord, for your grace to us who grumble and sin in many ways. But, Lord, we don't want to presume on that grace. Help us as we sing now about our daily need. Change us to make us more like Christ, we pray in his name. Amen.